What do you spend your time looking at? We're formed by the things that we gaze on. If you spend a lot of time looking at, at beautiful art, or beautiful landscape, you probably, I'm sorry to report, will not become physically more beautiful. But, looking at things that are beautiful can open us up in kind of an inner way toward what is beautiful. If you spend time looking at beautiful art, or beautiful scenery, the mountains around here, you might find yourself more open to beauty in other places, to beauty in people around you, to goodness in yourself. You might find yourself drawn to the truth and wanting to pursue it more. In the same way, if we, what we look at is violent or is filled with the use of other people, instead of appreciating them as they are, those thoughts can creep in and they can affect us more. God wants to change the way that we see. He also wants to change what we look at. The prophet Baruch talks about this. He says, Up Jerusalem, stand on the height and see. And he describes what he wants the people of Israel to see. He wants to see this gathering of, of all of their children, all of the nations, coming closer to Jerusalem. Baruch is talking about the time that we live in now, when God has chosen not just one people to know him, one ethnicity, the Jewish race, but God wants the whole world, every human person, to know him. And we share, it's our responsibility, to bring people to him. We're called to be missionary in that way. But Baruch and then John the Baptist have a particular way that they describe this. They give this kind of strange image. What do they say is going to happen when God does this? Every valley will be filled in and every mountain will be made low. It's kind of an odd image. Geologically, it takes a really long time for something like that to happen. But if God is inviting us to see, and if we're looking out over this landscape where every valley is lifted up and every mountain is made low, what happens? It's going to be flat. It's going to be flat. Right. And what happens if you look out over a flat landscape? You can see a lot more than you normally could. People around here climb up to the top of the mountain so you can see far, but there are other parts of the world that are flat where you can see really far as it is. And around here, if it were totally flat, there would still be a lot of trees, but in Jerusalem, Jerusalem is a pretty dry area, um, and the trees that there are are kind of few, and they tend to be kind of scrawny. So if you were around there and everything was flattened, you could see really, really far. So, um, as I mentioned last weekend um, in some of my holidays, um, I traveled a little bit recently, um, and one of these things that I did was I went to a wedding in Washington, D.C. Um, for a friend of mine, a good friend from college. I was, I mentioned last weekend in my homily that I was the best man, and somebody came up to me during the week and said, Father, you really need to clarify, because we're wondering what a priest who is a best man wears <laughs> at the wedding. 
So anyway, I wore my clerics. I wore what's called a cassock. It's like a long black robe that priests might wear on more formal occasions, just to dispel any questions about that. That's what I wore. Um, but during this time, uh, I had some uh, very unpleasant experiences with Google Maps. <laughs> yeah. So it turns out that really Google Maps around here, it doesn't stop. You get where you need to go. The highways here are not very complicated. They're great, they work. There's one exit at a time. You're supposed to take that exit. You know what to do. Not Washington, D.C. <laughs> And I kept having the same problem happen over and over again because there are these really complicated highways, and you know, often you encounter something like three exits at once, exit 304, A, B, and C. And Google Maps will tell you to do something like this. You're driving on the highway 94, whatever it is, the interstate, and then it'll say, uh, get on 304A for the exit. So it's great. You get on 304A. And the next direction it gives you is continue on 304A. So you keep doing that, like a convenient user of Google Maps. And then it turns out what it really means is that it doesn't want you to take exit 304A. It's just calling this whole road 304A. And at the very last minute, right before the exit lane, it will tell you to take 304C. <laughs> and then, you have to cut across three lanes, really fast. Not pleasant. And I, I thought, as this was happening, maybe because I was contemplating my mortality, God is like this sometimes, and our spiritual life is like this. There are times, sometimes, where the path is clear, it's straight, we know where we're going, and we know what to get off. But there are other times, especially when we're in an area that's more complicated, when there are more people around us, maybe they're going fast, they're going in a lot of different directions, and some of them might be directions we want to go in, and some of them are not directions we want to go in. We have trouble discerning where we're supposed to go, and sometimes God allows us to be in a place where we do not know where we are going until the very last moment so that we can't see, in the long run, where it is that we're going. We can't see two or three steps ahead. But God lets us be in a place where all we can see is the very next thing He wants us to do. And I think Advent, sometimes, can be a time like this for us. It's kind of an invitation to stop, to pause, for things to be more subdued, and to be okay with it, if we can only see immediately in front of us. Why would God let something like that happen? I think to help us to be attentive to what's going on right now. Sometimes long-term goals, five-year plans, all these sorts of questions, they can kind of keep us from what God is calling us to right now. But the way we get where we're going in a successful way is be by being present where we are right now. Sometimes that's all we can do, and sometimes that's the most beautiful and the most sanctifying thing that we can do, that will make us most holy. So just remember again this vision from Baruch at 
the beginning. These mountains being flattened, these valleys being raised up. In Philippians, Paul gives this kind of encouragement and instruction to his people today. He says, I trust that the work God has begun in you, he will bring to completion on the day of Christ Jesus. And Baruch gives this specific instruction about how, looking out over this flattened set of mountains, we're supposed to look. And he says to look in a specific direction, to look east. Why would he say something like that? Well, what happens in the east? The sun comes up. And in the New Testament, sometimes when it uses a phrase like the day of Christ Jesus, it doesn't just mean a normal phrase like that, like the house of the president, something that belongs to the president. It means the day who is Christ Jesus. So Guru tells us to look to the east in this flattened area where the sun comes up, and Paul tells us to await the day who is Christ Jesus. And what would happen if the sun came up in an area that was really flat, what happens is that instead of the sun coming up gradually and there being more and more light throughout the course of the day, almost as soon as the sun has crossed the horizon, everything is bright. And this is actually what Christ wants to do in our life. Even when it feels dark or obscured or we see only the next immediate step, it is already the case that everything in our life um, is cast in his light. That even if we would like to hide it, or even if it's something that's dark, everything is exposed to his warmth that heats and that melts what's hard. And that that light is something that we don't have to fear but that it's something he wants to fill our hearts with, um, to deepen our lives, to make them radiant, so that when this sun comes again, we will not fear him, but recognize him. And in the Mass, when we come to receive the Eucharist, with joy, receive him.